0: The box. You opened it. We came. It's
1: just a puzzle box! Oh no.
0: It is a means to summon us.
1: Welcome to Filmstrip's Hellraiser series. Explorers in the further regions of experience. Demons to some, angels to others. Featuring Nick. Come again And Jay. This is
0: it. The old homestead. These podcasts will
1: be spoiler-filled as we discuss the thoughts, characters, and details of the Hellraiser films. Oh, no tears, please. It's a waste of good suffering. Welcome to Film Strip. I'm Jay. And I'm Nick. And this is our (laughs) Mike. And this is our review of Hellraiser Revelations, the ninth and final installment in our Hellraiser series. Starring Stephen Brand, Nick Eversman, Tracy Farrell, Sebastian Roberts, Devon Savari, Sandy Van Heteren, Daniel Buren, Jay Gillespie, and Stephen Smith-Collins, and Fred as pinhead directed- Wow, all these stars,
0: man. <laughs> I can't believe they got all these
1: people in there. They actually got Sandy Van Heteren. <laughs> Yeah, Uh, well, Tracy Faraway is still working to this day. So, anyway, directed by Victor Garcia, released in 2011, allegedly on a budget of three hundred thousand dollars. We'll talk about that in a minute. Direct to video, the last one in our series here, and you know, the one that has probably the I don't know the the strangest reputation. A film that was produced in a matter of weeks. For one purpose, because Dimension had to have something in the can. They didn't have to release it, mind you. They just had to have produced a Hellraiser picture or they were gonna lose the rights. They sent the script to Doug Bradley and offered him like as he puts it, the cost of a fridge, you know, for two days work, and he said no. And they went ahead and put out what is supposed to be the ash can copy, the idea of something never to be released. And then it was released. We'll talk about why that happened when we get into it. But went to the public in October 2011, the first entry in the series, actually based on an original story, not a script, not an idea that they shove Hellraiser in. They actually went back to the uh, uh, source material and Gary Tunnicliffe uh, wrote the script here that Victor Garcia did. You know, $300,000 budget. They said that most of the crew that worked on this worked for free. They were doing favors for Dimension, and I believe in, it. Yep, yeah, in 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 efforts to get other work. I think the only people that got paid were uh, you know the director, some of the actor, well the actors, and then some of the effects people. But definitely a an odd film, and one that, like I said, in the opening there has a very shall I say negative reputation online. I haven't found anyone that is willing to give this a pass at all nick hmm. um
0: i can't imagine why um <laughs> first things first i mean yep. um before we get into it i mean you can completely tell this movie is as you call it, like one of these movies where they are just making it just to keep the rights kind of like the old uh roger corman fantastic four you yep. know where it's just like they had to do something and it just reeks of that all over i mean not to I'm not even going to talk about the story yet. We'll get into that, but just the acting <laughs> and just the caliber of sets and just the way the film looks, you can just tell. I mean, three hundred thousand dollars. Where the hell did that money go? Because I, I, I don't know. I didn't
1: see it on the screen. This felt like very much like a student film. It, the way it yeah. Everything went. You know what? That's a good way of looking at it. I do think this very much feels like a student film, and I, I have there is no corroborating information for what I'm about to say. This is purely my opinion, but I think Dimension did this with the intent of we're going to say we produced one, we're not releasing it, then we're done with our obligation for five years. We can you know continue to work on this reboot and all this thing that they keep talking about and trying to to hash over and get done. And I'll be honest, I think when they saw what Victor Garcia turned into them, they were blown away. Because for $300,000 and for shot in 11 days, what is presented here is far and above that quality. This is way better than the last two entries. It's not even close. Now, it doesn't look good because it's cheap and it's done on the cheap and the actors are terrible. Yes, all that is true. But what is presented here is way far in advance from what it should have been. And I think Dimension looked at that and said, heck, we need to put this out. Now, what they should have done was say, let's put another couple of hundred grand in this and actually flesh this out and make something out of it. But, of course, being Dimension, they're going to do it as cheap as possible. They slapped a cover on it, put it on the market, and there it goes. But... I do think what was turned in was far and above the assignment. It's like that times in school sometimes, Nick, when you give a simple assignment and people go way over to get it done. And you kind of wonder why they did that, but the people that that go above and beyond to make something better than what it could have been. And I, you know, Victor Garcia is a Spanish director. Clearly everybody that worked on this, like I said, was doing favors. They probably got a lot of work because they were able to turn in something much better that could have just been another hell world. I mean, this is, you got to admit, this is way better than hell world and debtor. The thing is, man, I
0: mean, I kind of get what you're saying, but what you're saying, at least from my understanding is from a script level that the script is better than the other ones that were completely, I mean, that's kind of what we went into, especially with the last two, how incomprehensible the plots were, the character motivations, almost the entire, the, the whole movie was just dumb. And it totally felt like it was just a movie that was kind of, you know, ripped apart and then Pinhead put in where this one does go back to the original movie and kind of, you know, reissue the whole plot and the whole sadomasochism and the whole, you know, Pinhead's not out for world domination, but just kind of like you call upon him and then he comes there. I mean, from that standpoint, yeah, it's better than the last two, but from a And I guess, you know what, for the director, only at $300,000, it's impressive what he was able to do with it, at least from the camera shots and the way a lot of stuff look from just like kind of Mm -hmm. the way he framed it and stuff like that. But the sets are cheap. The actors are terrible. And let's even get into it now. I mean, how can you even do a movie like this without Doug
1: Bradley? Well, and th- and here's the thing, like, you know, if you ask the creators here, you know, it says, you know, from the mind of Clive Barker somewhere in the credits to this, Clive Barker has a rather humorous and, and vile take on this. I mean, I think his exact words are like, this is not even from my butthole or something like that. Like he wants nothing to do with this at all. Doug Bradley, on the other hand. Looked at this and said, you know what? Not worth it for the little amount you're offering and stuff, but more power to you. And actually has said, he's never seen it according to all the interviews I've heard and read of him. He had no ill will toward it. When he read it, he actually said, you know what? There's something here. He said I don't think what you know with the limited budget and the time frame you're doing you're giving it any justice or you're giving it a chance but there's a lot more here than there was and he actually went as far as to send word to Stephen Collins that like hey man good luck go with it because as he put it I don't look like Pinhead did when I did this 25 years ago. And I sure enough don't look like him even five years ago when I did it. So he's fine to have walked away from it. Barker's the one that hates on this because, and for rightful reason, you know, the, the right, the only reason he can't buy the rights back is because dimension owns it and they're never going to let it go. (laughs) And I I don't disagree with you from the idea of like with $300,000, there's only so much they can do. And the talent level is definitely low for the actors on the screen, but it does look better and part of that is the fact that cameras have come a long way in the short time that you know from hell world till this you know from 2005 till now digital, digital photography makes a lot of things look much better than it is. I mean think about it, Nick you can shoot things on your cell phone that your dad's camcorder you know it, it you know pales a comparison but your cell phone does a way better job now than that did So technology aids in the fact that they wanted to do this on the cheap.
0: Yeah, but you know, I guess let's you know quit beating around the bush here. Let's get into this plot because what 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 I feel is kind of maybe the, the strongest part actually is the plot. We'll get more into the whole filmmaking and the whole um, cast and what, what you're calling acting later.
1: <laughs> I agree, but I'll say this: I don't think we can tell this like you actually what you see presented on the screen because this story is all about the twist. So I think it's better to just tell us what in the heck happens in Hellraiser Revelation. Okay, well here's the plot. So Steven and Nico are a couple of upper middle class kids bored with their
0: lives and sick of the hypocrisy they see in their parents. Follow this. Steven's dad is having an affair with Nico's mother, and Nico is dating, check that, screwing Steven's sister Emma, for spite as much as anything else. While in Mexico, Nico casually murders a hooker while having <laughs> sex in a stall in a bars in the bar's restaurant, and Nico blackmails Steven into continuing their vacation together by threatening to implicate him in the crime. They're approached by a vagrant who gives Nico the puzzle box, telling the boys it'll expand their horizons for pleasure. Boy, they've, these <laughs> virgins really, 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 really are already sick of sex. So, um, Though the boys open the box and Pinhead appears with the Cenobites, all of which is caught on Steven's camcorder. The boys disappear and their belongings are sent to their family. A year later, the two families gather together for dinner. Really fancy
1: dress, too, by the way. I gotta <laughs> yeah, say that. just to go to somebody's house. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That one girl had a really nice cleavage dress for just a family dinner. But okay, <laughs> we're okay. They go to dinner where no one asks, no one wants to talk about the disappearance, except the sister Emma, who confronts her mother's constant watching of Stephen's video camera without even sharing what's on it. Emma digs through her brother's stuff, discovers the puzzle box, and suddenly he appears but is not acting like himself. It is ultimately revealed that Stephen is the sadistic Nico wearing Stephen's skin, attempting to escape the Cenobites. He shoots Stephen's dad, confronts the families about their hypocrisies and makes Emma open the box attempting to trade her soul for his own with Pinhead. However, Pinhead we'll have none of this, and after killing Nico's mom, he, he prepares to take this Nico-Steven hybrid. <laughs> <laughs> but Steven's dad shoots the kid, releasing him from the Cenobites. Pinhead angrily tells dad he should have let go, and it was his own selfishness that w- that was the root of all this. He tells Emma he looks forward to when she willingly calls upon him again before sending the two back to the living room. The dad dies of his room, and distraught,
1: Emma picks up the box with an aroused look on her face as the screen cuts to black. Yeah, that's a that's a a lot that you just laid on us there, man. And we need to get into it and talk about it because this film is not presented literally like that plot summary. It it jumps. Yeah, I it think it thinks it's a Quentin Tarantino movie. The, I wouldn't even say it's trying to do that. It, if anything, it's trying to do what the Saw movies did forever. I mean, they were the king of the flashbacks.
0: Well, that was definitely a Saw ending. I mean, it's like you, you almost yeah. it would have been, almost been better if you would have had that Saw like climax stuff where it's like. <laughs> here's the twist, you know, that dot,
1: uh, dot, uh, Well, if, if it's a twist, it's, if anything, if they're borrowing twists, it's the M. Night Shyamalan type twist. But honestly, what happens here is not that dissimilar from what was part of the plot of the first one. And it's just executed fully. I mean, you get the idea of that Remember Frank was coming back and he ultimately just took his brother's skin to you know Larry to live in it? Well we just get ahead on that this time. And there's a lot of stuff that goes on here. We can get into it as we go. I, I do want to talk about Emma and kind of what I think she was doing. but the thing, the way this thing starts though is it starts with camcorder footage of Steven and Nico going on holiday and I'll, I'll be honest with you, I turned it off for a second and I said, please do not tell me this is going to be a found footage Hellraiser movie. Because I thought if they do that, then I, I'm gonna. I don't even know if we can record this podcast. I, about, a, about a quarter of it is. Yeah, it is, and and I'll be honest. I w- I'm glad I stuck with it because the way they use that is uh, is pretty smart. I, I kind of like the idea that we don't really know what in the hell happens for over half of this. And this movie's only and you know 75 minutes long, and really it's an, about an hour and five. So you don't know what's going on for 45 minutes of it. And, let, me, let, yeah. let me ask you this, though, with this whole like camcorder bit. Yeah.
0: Okay, these guys are what, like
1: 18, 17, Eight, 18, 18, 19, yeah, high school. I yeah. T- took seniors, maybe, yeah. Okay, so
0: they're going down to Tijuana because well, I, I took it that one of them was a virgin.
1: Right, it's what yeah. it sounded like, the way Nico was talking to Steven, was that Steven yeah. was a virgin. So. Yeah,
0: Steven was kind of the shy guy, you know, probably, you know, never really approached any girls and stuff. So they were, he was taking them down to... You know, Mexico, they're kind of like, you know, Papa's cherry. I guess we could just say that's what he's doing. He's taking Mm. them out to have a good time. Why record this? I mean, you're going down to Mexico for some, you know, debauchery. You don't want anybody seeing what you're doing down there because chances are a lot of it's not going to be illegal. And maybe
1: part of it involves a donkey. Well, (laughs) you, you may be right. You and I think like that because our generation would think that way. Millennials record everything. They, they do. They they believe in this kind of stuff. This is how they walk around with cambridge in their faces. This is not common. <laughs> they gotta record all this stuff. No one the, wants to these, see. These these aged guys would be the type that would record this. Whether they ever intended anybody to watch it or not is arbitrary. You know, again, us, we don't see the reason why you would record it. We if we're gonna record something, we're gonna go hunting the Blair Witch in the woods. That's our generation. This generation goes to Tijuana to, you know, tape the hookers and the donkey show. So I, I didn't have a problem with that. What became apparent to me as we were watching this and I had, again, there's no corroborating information to this. I'm just throwing a lot of what I know about the world into this, but these two guys intentionally or not are modeled on a couple of infamous killers in American history. These two guys are dressed like act like and do several things that Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold, the Columbine shooters, did. They have the same personality traits. Nico's like Eric Harris. He's a sociopath. And it, it's just more and more darker as it goes on. Steven's the depressive, quiet, you know, kid that gets drugged in dragged into stuff by his other friend but ultimately has a mean streak too they both hate their parents they hate their suburban lifestyle they do a lot of stuff that they shouldn't be doing at this age i mean there, there's a lot of that kind of uh, really a, a generation past teenage angst thrown into these two characters and i found that to be infinitely interesting to at least follow through again the acting is horrid but the character and what's on the page and what is coming through in some of the performance is that to me, I really saw that in this. It blew me away.
0: I suppose. I mean, I kind of see where you're getting that, you know, the, the similarities between the two are, I mean, they got the kind of that look and everything. I mean, minus the trench coats, but uh, yeah, I mean the whole, I guess the whole motivation for a lot of this is that they're tired of their parents that they just are kind of sick of the way the lives are
1: and everything, and that's why they're going to kind of like go and do this type of, you know, go and have fun. uh, The idea idea I got from it was at first, like, these guys are just trying to escape their their poor suburban lifestyle. Oh, poor babies. But then when you really get to what's going on, that – you got parents having affairs with each other, you got one of them who's decided, you know, he's going to screw the younger sister just to get back at the dad and the and his friend and stuff. It's some pretty dark suburbia American beauty stuff going on here, man.
0: Yeah, that's what it kind of reminded me of, where it's kind of like you got, like, these two families and, like, like screwing <laughs> each other. It's just mm-hmm. – it's kind of we- – it gets a lot weirder later. We'll get into yeah. that. Yeah, let's really. talk
1: about that dinner scene, though, because you already brought it up. Now, they named the families the Cravens and the Bradleys. Now, this, I'm going, oh, this had to be some executive from Dimension going, oh, yeah, let's name them after famous horror icons. yeah. No, that's stupid. Well, they well they lived on England Street too. <laughs> yeah, that too. There's there's a lot of these little things in there. I mean, St- Stephen and Nico. How clever! They, How clever! Yeah, Stephen and Nico. The actors' names are Stephen and Nick. So, you know, I mean, they they were really stretching well, the old creative. They, they, mode. they didn't want to really kind of push the
0: limitation of their acting. They need their names to be similar so they respond to
1: each other on screen i guess that's what it was <laughs> you know, if it,
0: well, yeah, yeah i mean I, if, they, if they were calling each other like chris
1: you know the guy would have been <laughs> like oh wait wait well then oh, that wait, tells yeah. me that the only person that can act here is tracy faraway because she <laughs> they, that her name is not emma not even close so though she is dressed very inappropriately for a dinner <laughs> even if it's at home did you let your daughter dress this way, please. And was this the Kardashians? Seriously, I was going, man. This no wonder these families are screwed up, you know. So, yeah, but yeah,
0: I mean, it's not. It's, I mean, it's for someone who hasn't seen this movie, she's wearing one of those dresses where the neckline goes down to the navel. Yeah, there's no
1: so. back to it either. That, that should be yeah. no. And she's wearing this to dinner with her parents and parents' friends, who are also incredibly overdressed for dinner at somebody's house. Why? I don't understand that. I just, that honestly, the whole
0: movie was just bugging me. I don't know why they are dressed like they are, well, like the one girl dressing like she's going out for a freaking stripper, you know, interview. <laughs> and then the other parents too, it's like, you guys are acting almost like just like you're going to a wedding or like you're going to like a fancy business dinner or something like that. I mean, it's mm-hmm. completely weird. I don't know. I mean, maybe that's what they do in Cal, the rich part of California. Like they, well,
1: that's what I wondered. Is, is that supposed to be part of the pretension of the parents? Is that the, you know, they're so stuck up and up their own nose about how great they are that they, uh, um, Hold on one second. Yeah. They are so stuck up about how great and grand they are and stuff that they even dress up for when they just have friends over for dinner. I don't know. Uh, maybe the actors just told to, Maybe the actors were just told to bring your own clothes to work day. I don't you know.
0: know. Probably what it was was <laughs> they probably interviewed that day for the person. They're like, you got the job. Sets over there. Script's over there. Just get ready for it. And they're like, oh, do you want me to change? No, we don't have, we don't have the budget for a wardrobe. <laughs> So, what well, you're wearing is fine. Well, I. And I yeah. guarantee maybe the one girl who played Emma was actually on her way to actually for a stripper interview, and then she actually <laughs> just showed up there.
1: Like I said, she's doing actual real work now. She's on another television show. She's been in another movie. She was in a movie. I she's know, String Evos? No, no, no. She's <laughs> been in a movie I know you've seen. Enough said. James Gandolfini's last run. So, she was in that. So, she's done other work, but nobody else here I've ever seen. And probably So, ever. she's gone
0: from working with <laughs> Julia Dreyfus and James Gandolfini to. Working with the guy who took drug Doug Bradley. Bradley's hey,
1: five. hey, she did this first, then did enough said, so she moved up. So that's the this was shot in 2010. So that you know, she she moved right on up. So I guess I mean Matthew McConaughey
0: <laughs> did Texas Chainsaw Four.
1: So. This is true, and yeah, and you know how that got repackaged afterward, right? So if she ever becomes a big star, expect the pinhead to share the screen on the on the new DVD or oh, well, or yeah,
0: player. she'll be on the cover. <laughs>
1: doing the constipated face right <laughs> <laughs> yeah just like uh Kari were in dinner but the point is that these people are all gathering to have a dinner but of course it's been a year is what we learned since the boys disappeared and nobody wants to talk about it they just want to have a, a nice dinner i'm like wait a minute you don't invite the parents of the friend that your son disappeared with for dinner if you don't want to at least talk about wasn't it great when we knew where the boys were no that's i mean that's all kinds of dysfunction Let's bring over my ex girlfriend so I don't get to talk to her anymore. Wouldn't the better <laughs> setup
0: be that they get this package in the mail full of the stuff and they invite them over?
1: Exactly. Why did, Why couldn't they have done that? I'm with you. That's again this script. And then the whole thing, thing is polish. what is this box?
0: Yes. What's this box in here? What the hell's going on? And then the whole thing, the mom could be, you know, they could start reviewing this tape and all suddenly. What They have this box, you know, what, what right. the hell's going on with this box and everything. Like, you know, who sent this back to us? What's going on here? Whole mystery of it. I mean, you could even have, you know, maybe if they had like 25 more bucks, they could get a couple more people be in this movie
1: and have like detectives <laughs> show up or something like that. But it, Something, yeah. You could have something going on, but it's all built around this idea that the mom keeps re-watching this scenes on the camera. And what we see is just sort of flashes of stuff. We don't really know what happens. We come to find out later, they've opened the box, and this is where the Cenobites show up, you know, which answers another question that, yes, you can see Pinhead in the real world, and he can be photographed, so he's not a Twilight vampire. But they they go through all this this camera thing, and my thing is they've just now discovered the box. It took Emma nearly a year of watching her mother do this for her to finally go, I'm going to dig through my brother's stuff. <laughs> and find that stuff wouldn't
0: even be in there. If they got they got missing person at work, that stuff wouldn't even be at the house.
1: No, would it would be, be in would a be locker
0: a, room at the police station. Thank yeah, you. they'd be going over for blood, some type of DNA, some something like that, trying to find some type of clues with that. And first of all, they try to find out who the hell sent the box
1: to them. Right. You you might be lucky enough to get like a photo that was in a wallet back if you're lucky otherwise it's an open investigation this i mean we talked about how dumb the cops are in the hellraiser series before these cops don't even want anything to do with it uh disappeared kids in mexico and no 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 you take it
0: (laughs) it's It's, it's more like we don't have money to actually buy fake badges so no cops in this movie (laughs) we can't even go down to the dollar tree and get uh anyway
1: so dude they didn't have enough money man the dollar tree was out of their range I think you're right. But let's talk about what went down in Mexico with the guys. This is the whole thing. They're partying, right? And how does Nico kill this hooker? I'm I'm conf- I mean, at one scene Oh, the the, the Mexican hooker that really looked like she was pretty Caucasian, that you, one? Yeah, they just spray tanned her real quick. He's, you know, having sex with her in the bathroom and in the next scene she's dead and there's blood everywhere. But what did he do to her exactly? Did he throw her on the ground? Her face looked
0: pretty destroyed for whatever he could do. I don't know what he did.
1: Yeah, that's the thing. Is it? It's one scene is them in the bathroom. The next scene is Steven walking in, and there's a dead girl on the floor. And there's no
0: way they could have sex like that either. I'm telling you right now. <laughs> there's I'm, no way. There's, there's no way you could get leveraged like that. Man. It's am, such, a, such a bad sex scene.
1: I am not going to weigh in on that. But. I, I do see Doesn't they, work, Jay. <laughs> they have cut this thing so back that they can't even show us how he kills her, which is amazing considering some of the effects that we're going to see later in this film. Because it's not like they do this with every kill. There's some pretty gory stuff that goes down here. And I guess it, the only thing I can think of is that they're like, well, we got to save it for the end. we got to save it for when we're peeling scalps off and stuff well, like why that. Why did kill her? Well, that's what I want to know. And and again, I think I go back to my Eric Harris, Dylan Klebold thing that Nico is just a a sadistic, bad seed and everything that's gone on in his life. He's just decided I'm just going over the edge. And so he goes over the edge, which is why I can presume that the box gets delivered to him and it was always his. Like that's not explained at all that the vagrant walks in the bar and gives them the thing like that's never happened before, right? You've always had to go after the box. Nobody's just oh, brought it well, to you. You
0: wanting to basically seek this out and seek out what the box had. Right. And the part I don't get, to, I mean, you could they could have totally done this better. I mean, for all we know, like with um, Nico, it was that he he never really kills anybody throughout this movie until the end. Right. And. I I would have just took it that, you know, maybe, like, he just had no compassion. Maybe him and this, this, you know, stripper were doing drugs in the freaking bathroom, and she ODs, and the one guy's freaking out, and he's just like, just leave her, you know, who gives a shit? Because that's kind of his attitude throughout there. He doesn't really give a shit about anybody else's life, and I think that would have, because the problem I have with her being killed is it makes no sense when you see her face, like, how he did that. It's like, oh, man,
1: it was an accident. It was an accident. It's like... Yeah, he doesn't it seem to like care at all. Yeah. Mean, it looked like
0: he a ball-peen hammer door face. face. mean,
1: he doesn't like- seem to have any respect for life at all. And I guess that's what they're trying to tell us about him and why he becomes so dark and why he would be into what the box offers. But that's a little different tale on the box. Like, Frank, well, right. Uncle, if Uncle you, Frank wanted extreme pleasure. This guy just seems to want to destroy everything in front of him, including himself.
0: Yeah, he didn't seem like he's the type that's like, oh, man, I need all this different stuff. I mean, that's why I'm kind of bringing up the whole drug thing is that maybe Mm -hmm. they could have showed something like that. Yeah. But like I said, these guys are 18, okay? All they do right now is probably, you know, you're 18, you're walking around with a freaking, you know, Hard on for twenty three hours a day, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? These kids, these guys aren't like, oh man, sex doesn't interest me like Frank was in the first one where you know you could obviously tell this guy was a freaking sleaze bag and he was probably banging <laughs> every chick he'd get a hold of. Well, these guys are probably lucky, you know, you know what I'm saying?
1: Like, yeah. You know, oh they, no, no. Frank, guys, Frank was doing stuff with like fruit and vegetables that's just not meant for those items.
0: Yeah. He, right. He, he had a nice collection of gerbils. And <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, these guys right
0: now would be just—they're going down to a strip club in Tijuana to see some. So let's not pretend like they're all suddenly... Desensitized to sex, and their
1: well. It, I think that, so. you're, you're getting into some of the larger commentary this film wants to have. That you know these kids have grown up in all the advantages. They're they're you know white bread kids in Southern California. But that's what I'm itch. saying. They
0: could have pulley instead of having it be the Steven guys as virginal, not Virgin, <laughs> virginal virginal kid. It could be like you know there are these rich guys from you know freaking the valley, and mm-hmm. they you know nothing but drugs and alcohol, and just the stuff doesn't interest them anymore i mean they could have totally well, played it up like that
1: but they don't and that's that's the thing They we can talk about what they could have done all day but they don't and what happens is ultimately they figure out how to open up the box which that used to be like a ritual and stuff and I at least i'm glad that they brought back some of the ritual effort like they have candles going they're trying to figure out how to open the thing they open it pinhead comes and what we see is that steven has to start bringing things for Nico to feed on. He has that first hooker in the, in the bedroom and Nico jumps up out of the nightmare on Elm street bed and terrible too. You could totally see the hole in the bed. Oh yeah. It was, it was horrible. It was horrible, but he's skinless. He looks looks like, he looks like Frank, right? And that's the whole idea is that he's out there trying to, he's, you know, he needs more bodies, more blood to feed on so that he can, redo his uh so he can reform his body right yeah but here's
0: the thing though did he die on that mattress that he banged the that that one guy banged i don't know
1: that's a good point i have no idea
0: no idea but so that's again that doesn't make any sense where in the first hellraiser and hellraiser 2 they were brought back because that's where they died Right, and that's where that not necessarily where they died, but where they were brought into the other dimension or hell. Or whatever well,
1: it was it. in that room. That's the only thing I could say. And and as we have learned in those first two films, or even the first three, Pinhead likes his his mattresses. You know, he, he likes to work with people through the mattresses. So likes dirty mattresses. I'm telling you, have some really nasty looking stuff here. I'm this is yeah. So cool. And, the,
0: yeah, it's like the whole feed me Seymour thing from, you know, Little Shop of Horrors now where he's got to go around and you get all these ones. And they try to be really extreme with, like, the next death where it's like Stephen, you know, is with the one girl and, you know, he's all, you know, he doesn't want to kill her because all of a there's a baby in the room. And he right. starts freaking out. He's like, I don't kill her. She's a mom. She's a mom. She's a mom. And this one, this one, you know, when Nico turns and he's like, fine, I'll do it. And he just, like, ends up biting her throat. Yeah. Killing her. Then he actually kills the baby, you know, in, in kind of a trying to be wicked scene, but it just kind of comes off kind of like, oh, okay, you guys are really trying to be extreme right now with killing a child, you know, killing a baby. But I don't know. It just kind of struck me as just kind of just like, I guess instead of being extreme, just them trying.
1: Yeah. I, they're trying. Again, they're trying. And I give them credit for at least trying. This is way again is a way better idea than let me you know find the leader of the the debtor cult who's a lamar who's a, a relative of the puzzle box maker who wants to rule the Cenobites. or let me be the vengeful dad who gives people hallucinogenic drugs and cell phones and buries them in coffins. This is way better yeah. than that, crap.
0: Yeah, but the thing is, though, I always thought with like them like sucking the substance out of these people. That it had to do something almost like with sex.
1: It Could, does every yeah. every other yeah. movie.
0: It was like always like you know seducing like you know seducing the movers or seducing you know you know Frank's brother or something like this. When he just goes and kills the baby randomly, I'm just like, well, there's really no point for that. Well, I mean, that's, it's almost like AVPR where it's like, oh, no, they're you, killing pregnant women just for the shock of
1: it. You're right. It's there for the shock, and it's there to prove just how sadistic Nico is. Because once we find out what he does later in the film, that that seems like the natural evolution of things. Because now that we know what happens to the guys, they keep killing hookers and killing hookers and killing hookers. You know, and, 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 open-
0: and, we all, and we all know hookers and strippers don't have souls. So I don't understand
1: how <laughs> this is working. Well, they just needed to go after some redheads too. So anyway, we go back to the year later, and what I am really confused, and this is when I said, you know, if when Dimension saw what they had here, they should have put another, you know, couple hundred thousand into it, fleshed it out, and fixed it. It's the Emma subplot I don't get. I I, I can put it together as if I help the film plot, value. but but the whole thing is, it seems like she's really the driving force behind a lot of this, because when she gets her hands on that box, let's let's just say it, Nick, it's like you turned the quarter on and the the washing machine is on spin and she's, you know, on it. I mean, she looks like she's getting off just on touching the thing. And I've yeah. never seen anything like that in a Hellraiser film. So here's the whole thing what they could have done is mm-hmm. like, I
0: know I'm Mr. Rewrite here, but when we get into this thing later, we find out, you know, she, when the guy, when he comes back, when Steven comes back from the box, when Emma opens it up, Steven comes back. And, you know, we already said in the plot description, it turns out, well, Steven's actually just Nico in Steven's skin. Right. And Emma doesn't know that at first. And she starts making out with her brother or what she thinks is her brother. Yeah. Oh,
1: that's very awkward. Her yeah. And
0: here's the thing, though, is like they could have totally played this where the whole twist is besides that that they were supposed to meet Emma in Mexico and Mm -hmm. that maybe this whole thing was orchestrated by her that she knew of the box and she was the one that orchestrated picking up the box there. And she ended up somehow not being able to get down there and they ended up taking the fall for it. And she's just like some weird, whatever, you know, some weird, you know, almost like Frank, where you know, she's banging her brother, she's banging this guy, you know, she's banging everybody, yeah. and she's okay. just like this like, sadistic person who's just looking for the next thing, and that's the whole twist of it. It was not just that Steven I, is actually Nico, but
1: she was the orchestrator of the whole thing. Uh, you and I are on the same page. I have been saying the same thing since I watched this, and I watched this thing twice for this review. Why did you do that? <laughs> because I wanted to make sure I got it, and I wanted to make sure I knew what my rewrites were going to be, and we have the same rewrite. Because of the way it ends, The way she grabs that box and looks at the end is the same way she looks at this scene when she first gets her hand on it. I was like, this should have all been Emma's orchestration from the beginning. That should have been the final reveal. That would have been cool. I would have liked that because that would have made sense. As it is again, though... This is something they're trying to just throw together, and then when they saw it, instead of doing the right thing and going and shooting that and filming that, they just threw it out there. And that's. I mean, imagine irritating. how much
0: better it would have been to if, like, instead of her dressed like a complete slut.
1: <laughs> yeah, that
0: she's more. They, yeah. That she's no, more, they had her being like real like proper and covered up, and then she, maybe like they go into a sex scene later, and she takes off her clothes and she's all like pierced up and everything like she, that. And she
1: needed kind of, to go from Mandy Moore. Looking to like Numi in the girl with the dragon tattoo. I agree. That, that's yeah. what we needed to see. When she got behind closed doors, she was much darker, deeper, freakier. Than yeah, and, and she color. could
0: add like you know, she could add like you know, you know, tr- you know the, the the marks of like where she's cutting herself, and they could yeah. add, you know, p- you know, nipple piercings, and all this, just really, just like. Kind of like extreme type stuff, and it, it completely shocked you because it's like she went from being like wearing it, a ribbon around her hair to like looking like you know she's gonna be in the freaking uh, I don't know like a Motley Crue video or something. I don't know. Oh no! Know?
1: A, yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> Again though, that one. <laughs> <clears throat> excuse me. Again, though, that would have required an investment and not only time and money, but dedication from an actor to get somebody to do that. And they just weren't willing to go there, but they should have been because it would have been a better story. Because as it plays out now, she plays with the box. Steven shows back up, and he's acting all freaky, and they, they can't get him to tell what's going on. And what we ultimately learn after a lot of time gets wasted is that He's really Nico. And we learned that when he grabs the shotgun. And we, I don't even can we even talk about that? The vagrant shows up at the house and one of them shoots him and then he shows up and st- cuts half of the one dad's face off and he dies. I don't I don't know what happens there. It's very strange. Yeah,
0: the vagrant has never been a malicious character and everything like that. He's just a delivery boy. You yeah, know? that's
1: very that's yeah, very weird why he comes back into this. And but again,
0: you bring it up that she was the one wanting the box and he's showing up there. That would have made sense. Yeah. yeah. You know, basically he's showing up there or whatever with the box or something like that. You know, something mm-hmm. like, you know, you're the one that wanted this, you know, you're the one that needs to open this and stuff like that. You know, pinhead took the, you know, or whatever, you know, the ones that they didn't,
1: well, you know, you know what I'm saying? We're yeah, just, you know, no, just, no, 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 I'm following you. I mean, it makes total sense what you're saying, but now d- all that goes down. And then Steven shoots the dad with a shotgun and that, now look, I'm not a ballistic expert, but I know a little bit about shotguns. If you shoot someone in the stomach with a 12 gauge from a foot away, they're not going to live for 25 minutes. <laughs> All right, they're that, not going to live for 25 seconds. No, that guy survived. I mean, it would have been better had that been a handgun, and he and he popped him with it. Even that, I don't know, you'd survive that long, but that. It was hard to sit and go. I guess we're supposed to feel bad for the dad because he's agonizing the whole time, as his you know not son son reveals all these family secrets and tells him he's pretty much the worst human being on earth and he wants to kill everyone and you know trade somebody's soul off for hell. But it, I'm distracted by the fact that the man's stomach is blown out of him and he's still sitting there on the couch, able to you know talk with his wife. It's just a flesh wound yeah oh <laughs> god i was having the last action hero moments all over this i was like jeez this is terrible that needed to be changed. that was a detail that needed yeah, to be changed totally. that did not need to be a shotgun he could have stabbed him something but that was very weird but what okay did you see it coming that steven was nico really or oh hold on i gotta get the potatoes out of the oven hold on Oh, those smell good. Okay. Was that a... Regular potatoes or you got sweet potatoes? Oh, they're regular. Just regular old russet. So, um, Was you surprised, though, that the reveal that Steven is not Steven, Steven's Nico?
0: I saw it coming because the guy was not acting like him. I mean... It's kind of a neat little twist. I mean, it's the same twist as the first one. I mean, obviously yeah. it's tried to be dragged out a little bit more than more than like the 30 seconds it was in the first Hellraiser, but I could I could tell that just by his actions and the way he was talking that it really wasn't Steven. I mean,
1: yeah.
0: It wasn't a great acting job. I mean, <laughs> it was the guy playing Steven trying to act like Nico trying to play Steven. I mean, it was yeah. like He's the guy pretending to be the guy disguised as another guy, Robert Downey Jr. moment from Tropic Thunder.
1: (laughs) Well, what do you make of what he all lays out? What he plans to do? You know, he reveals all the affairs, how he used Emma. And what he's planning to do is trade her for himself. Because he knows the Cenobites are coming after him because they don't like to lose people. right? Why her? Why her? I don't understand why her. Again, it feels like that is the truncated part of this is that I'm almost convinced it's somewhere in that original script. And they just said, nah, we ain't got time and money for that. Is that this is all supposed to be her fault. That would have been a great time a, to reveal that. I and mean, again, yeah, it would have been that he finds out
0: that, basically that emma was the one that wanted this box and he escaped and he's like
1: you know what you're the one that did this you're taking the punishment for it that's why i'm coming to get you right and that's not what happens because of course they finally get the box open again because it doesn't take her any time to open it and pinhead and the Cenobites, i guess after all those years of Kirsty. Do not make the deal. Not even close. Uh, okay, we got to talk about this pinhead. Obviously not Doug Bradley and not even Stephen Smith Collins' voice. That's Fred Tatasciore, famous voice actor, doing the voice. What did you make a Pinhead in this iteration? He's terrible.
0: It is, it is a pale comparison. There's no gravitas like Doug Bradley. Even... You know, Doug Bradley being, you know, 98 years old when he did the last <laughs> one when he was 93. I mean, whatever. I mean, wrinkles aside, he had a presence to himself when he showed up. Mm-hmm. It was just, it's it's hard to really put your finger on exactly what he had, but he had it. This guy looks like something that you would see at your JC's haunted house.
1: Yes, he does l- come off
0: that way. And, and let's just say it right now the makeup is terrible. It's cheap. You can see him talking. And literally, the pins in his head aren't even standing up straight. You can see them fall, not falling off, but bent
1: over like the rubber that they are. It's because they're a mask that's over his head, no doubt. But the one thing they do here that I do like is there are flashes of scenes of a younger Cenobite getting skin pulled off or skin put on his head and nails driven in his head, like pinhead junior style. And what we find out is that is Steven actually, who is becoming a Cenobite. We've never had a character become a Cenobite before. And I,
0: you know, I kind of like we that. Know, though, but we know though, from the first two that that's not how a made. The Cenobite made by Leviathan.
1: Right, but nobody remembers any of that anyway. So I remember that. <laughs> no, you you do. You do. That. That's actually that's actually from part 2 though. From part 1, we don't know any of that. And from the original source material, you really don't know any of that. So I was actually okay with it. I liked the idea that if it's going to be this tight unit and this is all about Nico getting his revenge, well what we ultimately find out is Steven's going to get his because he's now a Cenobite. I like that twist. I thought it was cool.
0: Yeah, it's, I mean, it's okay. I mean, again, it would have been so much better if that they had opened the box, but they weren't the ones looking for it. And that's what happens when you open the box
1: and you're not looking for it. Exactly. Like that. Yeah, but, but if, that had been the, not, if that had been the case, then all those mental kids in the institution would be Cenobites too.
0: Yeah, but I don't think any of them ever got taken, though, by them or whatever. I guess huh. – because they, they, those those kids were you know mentally challenged. Pinhead's got a Pinhead's got a moral code, okay. And I am <laughs> not I'm not even really kind of joking about that. He does though in the first two he mm-hmm. has a moral code. I agree. Where it's like you know we're, we're coming from the ones that opened us. You know they could have opened it up and wanted it or whatever. And it's like you know what we're taking you. You guys are different levels of people that he uh, wants or whatever. It's like you know you got you got you got the mentally challenged person in the hospital. What is he going to do with him? Right. You know? Right. What are they going to do with them? I mean, I'm not trying to be mean here, but he doesn't want to mentally challenge Cenobite, okay? True,
1: true, true. But back to this film and what's going down. Pinhead tells them all to shut up. The mom doesn't shut up. That yeah, would be funny, though. And she she does. You can edit this out, man, because you know what? <laughs> if they had a retarded Cenobite,
0: <laughs> <laughs> like, Pinhead's <and> talking, <laughs> and they got, like, one, like, humping a doorknob in the You, you,
1: you called the box. I came. Or I, I call the box and you came. I don't know.
0: I could <laughs> just see, like, pinhead staring at him or something and, like, <laughs> like, like looking at our chatter. You friggin'
1: like, moron. Chatter, <laughs> go get him. Get him. Bring him over here. <laughs> <laughs> get, get and and somewhere, like, the girl said about is like, you and your little projects. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, anyway, yeah. If, if it was Hellraiser the sitcom, that's exactly what should happen.
0: Yeah, uh, I feel bad saying that.
1: Yeah, we're going to cut all that. Okay, so what about how Pinhead, though, is very down to business in this? He tells everybody to shut up and listen. The mom starts talking to the Nico mom, and she gets her throat ripped apart. Like, I said, be quiet. I was like, man, that's some hardcore punishment. So I I like that the, the, you know finally Penny has said something and then backs it up immediately like there's no second chances no nope, I yeah, I, so I didn't mind that
0: either that it's like you know maybe she's not you know she didn't call upon it but she's you know don't 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 you know don't screw with him
1: you exactly know, you're, you're, yeah. your
0: bad mouthed then it could have just been like a chain right through the throat and it's just like you know you know quiet that you know quiet the tongue and she rip, rips off her tongue or something like but, that but
1: you know? the dad. The Ross decides to screw with that and blows Stephen Nico, who's you know first been chained up there, about to get torn to bits for an eternity, blows him away. Like you can shoot people in the Cenobite realm. Who knew? Yeah,
0: I again, I think it would have been. I don't know. I think it would might have been better if like the dad. I don't know. It's just I, I kind of like what happened there, where it's like you took one of us or what you took one away, and it's like a, it's a saw ending.
1: Yes, it it's was. Like, Well, I like what he says, though, to him. He was like, your selfishness is the reason all of this is happening anyway, which is essentially what Nico said to him. It's like, if you had to be such a cheating jerk, this is all your fault. I like that, though. I like the fact that Pinhead puts it right on him and then basically tells him, I can't wait till your freak of a daughter comes looking for me because I know she's going to. Again, that's a subplot that has been cut out of this. I'm convinced that that was what was supposed to be because all those lines – but I, I like the, the way he says, Oh, I'm not going to kill you. I'm going to kill your wife. And you're going to get to watch that now. But I'm going to let you go down on your own and realize that this is all your fault.
0: Yeah. No, I did like that. I did like that little twist. And I think this whole movie was written around that twist.
1: Yes, it totally that They came
0: well, up with it. Yeah, that they came up with it like, you know, what happens if someone, you know,. Pinhead, you know, someone kills, you know, one of Pinhead's victims right before he takes him back. What would he do? Exactly. That's what this whole movie's been around. I like that. I thought that was a really kind of a cool twist. You know, now that that. Dad- He's got to live with that the rest of his life, that his wife is going to be, you know, eternally tortured because
1: well, he <laughs> needed his revenge at the end. The rest of his life is about 18 seconds. That's that's the other side of this. Yeah, story. I know. Hey. I guess. Yeah, no, no, no. But you're, you're right. Had, had he been like, if he had been able to survive, as we would say, and Stephen and Nico had shot his hand. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Down. What's what was the point of having him die? Wouldn't that, it have been so much better if he lived? Well, you know what would have been better? Let's go back to our rewriting here. If the M of subplot was where we thought it was going to be, they go back and he's like, I'm going to be okay, I'm going to be okay, and she like breaks his neck, smothers him or something, then grabs the box and gives that you know, freaky look to the camera. That would have been something then. That would have been like, oh, wow. yeah." Then you would have known this was all her again. That that would have been cooler than go back and for the last 10 seconds of your life have regret. Okay. <laughs> I guess. I mean, that that's what happens. But yeah. then, you know, it does end where it should, with Emma with the box and that look on her face. So, again...
0: I, it, I, I don't understand. I mean, based on this whole movie, I mean, we re- we rewrote this, and to make that make sense, but based on the merits of this movie, that ending makes no sense, with her just, like, rubbing it and looking at the screen, like, dun-dun-dun. Oh, dun, no,
1: you're, you're totally right. It, you have to fill in the blanks for it. You're not wrong, no. But, but... I'm going to tell you something. I I said I watched this twice. The second time, I didn't watch it taking notes. I just watched it because I wanted to see it again. And I, I was willing to fill in the blanks for it and go, geez, I wish they had just put a little bit more dough behind it to flesh that out. Because then this rating would be totally different. But we are at the point where it's time to give our final thoughts, recommendations, and popcorn ratings. So, Nick, what are yours for Hellraiser Revelations?
0: To me, this is like watching Miley Cyrus on any type of movie shows. It's just like, it's almost kind of interesting in a way that it's so bad. I mean, there's a little bit of talent there that's behind this. For the most part, it's done just in a real shoddy way that in the end, it just makes me want to vomit. So this movie is a very small popcorn for me. It's just, it's, it's not the worst, but again, I mean, this is like... It's it's right there with them. It may not be the worst, but it is a bad movie and one of the you know worst movies that we have reviewed on this show. And I'll even go in far as saying it that this movie, this 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 whole retrospective started out high. The first Hellraiser is very good. Second one's fine. Third one's fine. You know, fourth one's crap. Fifth one's a little bit better. Then it's just a steady decline the whole way down. Stuff that I even consider that this something like Blair Witch two actually is a much better movie than these. And you have to go all the way back for a <laughs> Blair Witch 2 review, but the fact that I even bring up Blair Witch 2 in comparison should just show you how bad these last movies are. So, even if you're like, you know, a Pinhead fan, and maybe you've seen the first couple ones and you're debating about seeing these, don't. It's... it's it's It just it tarnishes what Pinhead stood for. It tarnishes the whole original thesis of these films. So, this movie's a small popcorn, and for... Again, I recommend the first two movies
1: of the series. You can skip the rest. You know, I'm going to say this about this film. You're not wrong. It is a small popcorn, but I'm actually going to give it a bump up. It's day old, slightly stale, but still with a few kernels of butter. Good piece, medium popcorn for me. Because I had a much better time watching this than I've had since part five. Part six was just part five done worse, in my opinion. Seven and eight are just horrid four was terrible three is just kind of stupid but it's at least funny to watch that that was an entertaining thing to watch this kept me interested mostly because i was engaged enough to go you know i can see that there's something here and had they had any you know sense at all they would have put some dough behind it and finished it and done it right and i'll be honest with you if whenever they get around to doing this reboot remake they need to start with what this script was and, and fix it. Get better actors, better director, more money, budget, stuff like that. But there's a story here that's worth telling. You want to tell a Hellraiser story? This one is way cooler than the stuff they've tried to shove him in before, you know, the last four entries. And for me, I give it a little bit of a bump up. But as far as this series goes, Nick, I don't disagree with anything you said. This is one of the worst series, and you said it's a steady decline. It is a drop off a cliff, man. It is not a steady decline. This thing falls apart so fast, and that's why, for me, as as a horror fan, and I've seen all these, you know, for lack of a better way of saying it, the slasher series, all of them. All right, this one it lives right around where Child's Play does, and I'm not so sure I wouldn't put Child's Play above it. In a lot of ways, I know the last entry in Child's Play way better than anything this thing's done in years. <laughs> yeah, way, way, way better. Uh, yeah, but for me, you know, I'm a big Halloween guy. I like Nightmare on Elm Street. I like Friday the Thirteenth. Those series, those films, light years ahead of where this series is. And I think because the people involved with those and the studios involved, some of the same people, Dimension made you know a lot of these things. They Put money and faith behind it. And I said, you know, in one of the last episodes that the problem with Hellraiser here is that it came along at the tail end of when those films were in their first runs and it just got to the party too late and never got the support it deserved. So my question to you is finally, if they ever get around to the reboot remake, would you be down to go see it? Would you be interested in re exploring this in the you know, modern 21st century?
0: Uh, It all depends on who's behind it. If you get Clive Barker back and you get a a director with a vision, of course. But I think, again, they missed their mark on bringing this out. I mean, this would have been a perfect one to bring out during the, you know, end of the Saw, beginning of the paranormal activity craze. Now we're kind of towards the end of the paranormal activity craze. And I think this, the way that the reboot would be, it'd be too closely resembling that. I'm I'm on the opinion that we're about to see another horror shift, that something's going to change again. Kind of like how we had, you know... The slashers of the 80s and then it shifted with Scream and then it shifted with um, Saw. I think we're about to see it. Well, then it shifted to the found footage. I think we're going to be shifting again real soon. Who knows? Maybe this this one will come out and be the one that shifts it. I don't know.
1: You know, and I I wondered the same thing. Are we going to shift back to slashers because the cycle would tell that's probably what happens. You found footage started with Blair Witch. But they tried to with
0: slashers with Nightmare on Elm Street and the Friday 13th reboot, but I think that those ones weren't as well done as what they could have been.
1: They're true because they tried to do too much at once. And, and that's sort of a short review of both of those. We can get to that maybe some other day, but I, I'm curious to explore where they could go with this. And I do agree with you that there is another slasher series coming up pretty soon. Another movement of horror, but you know, we'll have to get there when we get there, Nick, we've been spent a long time. This is officially the longest retrospective we've ever had. Uh, a alien was eight because we added an extra one in there. Um, uh, way back when we did Harry Potter, we did eight of those. This is nine, nine entries into the series, the longest ever. Well, this summer, let's go longer. No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to do anything longer than that. You and I have done something, have, have agreed to do something rather interesting here. Now there are probably mm, 40 films in the canon of what we're going to talk about, but you and I have selected four, one of which is coming out this summer. We're going to talk a little Godzilla. We're gonna go back to the nineteen fifty-six original, which is really the nineteen fifty-four shot for American audiences again, the nineteen eighty-four sequel to that, the nineteen ninety-eight reboot, the infamous Matthew Broderick Godzilla, and and then the new one coming out this summer with Aaron Taylor Johnson, Brian Cranston, all those people behind it, the trailers are out there. We're gonna do the four you know, four of the Godzilla films. For later this summer I'm looking forward to that That'll be an interesting series to dive into We've never really done monster movies On this podcast or together So it'll be a different thing for us to look at this time Yeah, definitely I'm looking forward
0: to it I'm looking forward to doing some different stuff here Kind of getting out of the horror realm I think that's kind of like you've know, done a lot of It's kind of these horror, you know mm-hmm. You put Alien in there and stuff It'll be kind of nice to maybe see something a little bit different here so.
1: And we'll see how it goes when we get to it Of course, we've referenced a lot of our old shows in this podcast. Folks, you can find all of those on our website, continuousplaypodcast.com slash movies. Uh, Go through the archives. You can search by the names of the hosts, by the different series. It's all there. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Hook up with us on Facebook and Twitter. Let us know what you think. We appreciate your support. Till next time, for Nick, I'm Jay. Thanks for listening to Filmstrip. Thanks for listening to Filmstrip. Visit our website, continuousplaypodcast.com. For more reviews and episodes.
0: Now you must come with us. Taste our treasures.
1: All content used or discussed in this podcast are the property of their respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act Section 504C2, Title 17.